We're going through Ephesians chapter 3, the first six verses, and I want to read through those verses uh, for us. So we're going to read verses 1 through 6 first, and then we'll break it down. All right, it's in your bulletin notes. I encourage you to take it out. I um, also encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to open that up, um, and you can go ahead and uh, follow through with me on that. So it starts off, chapter 3, verse 1 starts this way. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above, by reading this, you are able to understand that my insight into the mystery of Christ, this was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is the mystery that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Amen. Two weeks ago, my wife surprised me with a, a trip to Manhattan and to play and be a participant in a game called the Escape Rooms. How many of you are familiar with the Escape Room games? How many of you have done it before? Anyone? All right, so this was my first I got a hand up. Cool. This was my first time, my wife's first time. And if you're not familiar with the Escape Room games, what it is, there's several different themes, first of all, that you can choose from. Uh, the particular one we went to was called The Dig. Okay, and so for this game, what you would happen is we're in a, it's usually four to maybe eight participants, depending on the game you're playing. Uh, we had six of us, seven of us, okay? Uh, my wife's back there, Joanne, so hey, hey, just call her out, call her out. But um, yeah, so the escape rooms, you're in a room, um, maybe more than one room, depending on the game, and you're locked in there with, if you came with friends and you know the people, in our case, we, we didn't know the five that were with us. So I was locked in a room with my wife and five other people we had just met. And the point of the game is to solve riddles, solve mysteries, puzzles that are all there and, and little hints so we can get the next clue. And then you get the next clue, you got to solve this puzzle, you got to solve, you know, this hidden uh, 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 mystery. And so as you keep continuing unraveling and unlocking the clues, eventually you get the key, hopefully, to lock it to get out and escape the room. Right? Now, you have an hour to do this. So within the hour, if you've gotten the key and you escape, so you escape now victorious, right? and you get to hold the sign saying, hey, we're winners, and you get to hold, you know, the hat and the key in our case, but if you're, if you don't, within the hour, you have to be rescued, and so they will come and get you out, but now you have to hold a sign that says, I'm a loser, <laughs> pretty much, right, um, but it's a pretty cool game, how many of you guys love mysteries, love to kind of solve riddles and, and clues, and you like that type of stuff, it was a very neat experience, my wife and I, who thought we won? Thinks we won. We won. I think it was uh, 53 minutes, so it took us almost a full hour. I mean, it's a great team-building activity. Um, we did not keep in touch with those five new friends, but hey, it's a great opportunity to meet new people. It's a great opportunity to, for us to get together. It's just a lot of fun. It was a great experience. And this kind of stuff for us, you know, uh, gets us going, at least for me, if you like a good mystery novel, right? This is something that gets you going and you like it. But my question is, do you like it when it comes to real life? What I mean by that is, do you come out and say, man, I love that there are things in my life that I just don't get. Do you say, I love the fact that I don't understand why this is happening to me. I love that God, you're making me go through this riddle and this riddle, that clue, and i got to figure it all out. How many of you love that? Right? It's something that we don't really uh, 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 love as much as in reality as we do when it's a game. And so maybe today you're in this season of affliction, and your questioning is, Why? Why, God, am I going through this? What is the purpose of this? This is not clear. It makes no sense to me. And I don't know. I don't see why it's happening. And if you don't have anything in your life like this, just think back of maybe a time you did. 
And if you can't think of back of a time you did, just think of our world and what's going on in our country, what's going on in our world, and think about why is it happening. And today I want to look at this mystery made known to us uh, in regards to our afflictions, our pains, and our sufferings, and the purposes in them. It's going to be a heavy message, and I titled this message, Made Known. And I got that title from the text that we're going to be reading today. In verse 3, Paul says this. He says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So our title today is Made Known. And I want to start off by saying this. I want to start off by saying pain and afflictions, sufferings, okay, all that, the Christian life does not escape that. Now, I want to say that because maybe we come from backgrounds or we've been taught that, hey, as you come to Christ, things are going to be all great. Things are going to be cool and, and chilled. And, you're not, and if you're a good Christian then you shouldn't be going through persecution, right? Oh, if you're a good, faithful Christian, why is this happening to you? Because sometimes, we, I mean, I don't know about you, maybe you've been taught this, you have this idea that if things are well with me, then, I, then God is pleased with me, right? If, if, if I have no pain and no suffering in my life, that must mean I'm being faithful, following Jesus loves me more. But when I'm going through this stuff, man, God must not, I must not be a faithful Christian, or you might maybe have been looked at that way. But I want to tell you, man, that is all false. The Christian life, the Christian is not, is not free from persecution. The Christian does not uh, uh, escape uh, bad experiences, does not escape things that are happening all around us. It's simply not true to believe that you are a believer and therefore you should not be going through anything. But the Christian does have one thing. The Christian has a hope. The Christian has an anchor for their soul. The Christian has a rock, a refuge that they can stand in, a shelter that they can run to. God is for us. And we can find rest in him. Now, understanding these things that God is doing in our lives, even the pain and the sufferings that we might be enduring in this, on this time here on earth, enables you and I to be still and trust him. Psalm 46 says what? He says, stop your fighting and know that I am God. Some of the versions you're probably more familiar with is be still and know that I am God. Now, life we've, we've gone through, life can be a fight, and we need to fight on keeping our eyes on Jesus. But there are times where God says, stop the fighting and just trust in me. Trust that he is God and that in him he can do all things and that through him you can do all things. To so trust in him. I want to ask, who's this speaking to right now? I want it to sink very deep into your soul today that whatever it is you can, you're going through, maybe God is saying, stop your fighting. Trust me. You can be still, my son, my daughter. You can find rest. You can surrender. Release all your fears and worry. And guess what? And set them at his feet and know that he is God. Paul understood this very well. Paul understood this very well. And that's what we're going to go into now as we look into our verses. Uh, verse 1. Verse 1 it says this. And Paul goes, it's in your notes again. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Paul wants us to pay special attention right now. How do I know that? This is the middle of the letter, guys. And what is he doing once again? He's reintroducing himself. Right? He already told the church, that this is Paul, I'm writing to you. Why in the middle of his letter he goes again and says, I, Paul, simply just want you to understand. Just, he's saying, hey, listen up. Pay attention to this right now. Pay attention to this. Paul wants us to understand that what he's about to say is important. So what is it, Paul, that's important? He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul's doing two things. One, he's reminding the church in Ephesus that he's a prisoner. Literally, he is a prisoner. But he tells them something else very important. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Caesar. What does he say? He says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
At the time that Paul is writing this letter, we know it. We said it. He's literally actually a prisoner in Rome. So Paul, is he in a comfortable situation? No, he is not in a comfortable situation. He's not a free man as we can see it in your human eyes. How did he land there? After his third missionary journey, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem after some of the Jewish leaders began to take beef with Paul and his teaching. Because Paul's teaching was revealing something that never before did the church understand that God purposed for the Jew and the Gentile to be one and united. As we read in Ephesians 2, and as Paul goes on again in our verses today, the Jewish leaders found Paul's teachings as radical and destructive to the Jewish temples and their Jewish practices and the laws. And so they didn't want just Paul to be arrested. They want him dead. They want him dead. They wanted him dead. They didn't want him just to be put on trial. They wanted to end his life. And so while Paul was in custody, a group of Jewish leaders actually made a vow to kill him. And you can read all about this in Acts chapter 23, but I want to point out verse 10 and 12 through 13 in Acts 23. It's not in your notes, but just listen up and then you can jot it down in your bulletins. Acts 23, if you want to read about this uh, in Paul's time while, while the Jews were persecuting and, and attempting to kill him. It says in Acts 10, Acts 23 verse 10, when the dispute became violent, so things started to heat up. The commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them. All right, so things were really looking bad for Paul. All right, and he ordered the troops to go down to take Paul away from them. All right, so it got so bad that the leaders in Rome was like, man, we got to get this guy out because they're going to kill him. All right, in verse 12, when it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse to not eat or drink until they killed Paul. Like, dude, they're crazy. They're like, I'm not even going to eat. I'm not going to drink until we kill this guy. And then in verse 13, it says that there was 40 of them who planned this plot. All right, so it wasn't one Jewish leader. It wasn't two. There was a group of 40 of Jewish men and leaders who wanted Paul dead so badly that they're like, I'm not, I don't even want to eat right now until we see this guy dead. So I, I mentioned this because I want you to understand as Paul's writing this letter, he's in a tough position. He's taken away and he's, he's brought somewhere else where he's in prison for another two years. And while in prison, Paul starts to realize, man, I'm not going to be set free. So he does something. Paul has a unique position in that he's a Roman citizen as well. And so he goes ahead and he appeals to the emperor. All right. And so the emperor takes him out and he's, then he endures this dangerous voyage by sea. You guys can read all that again in Acts 27. And Paul then is living under house arrest in Rome. And that's where Paul writes this letter. He's now under house arrest. And this is important for us to know because we got to see it. That Paul at this moment of writing this letter is going through it. Yet we don't see Paul writing and saying, I'm a prisoner in Rome. I'm a prisoner of Caesar. But we see him and we read him. We hear him saying that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He understood that though he was actually a prisoner of Rome, that he was a prisoner for Christ's sake. And I want us to see that today because it's very important. Paul understood that his current situation was was done because Jesus allowed it. And I want us to bring that to our first point. Our first point is this. Our afflictions have purpose. Your pain and your suffering has a purpose. Trust God in the moment. Or trust God in this moment. As I said earlier, maybe you're questioning through your, through your, your situations, why, why, why? Or you feel like a prisoner in your own home. How many of you have you know, heard people say that, man, oh, I feel like a prisoner at work. These people don't appreciate me. Right? Like, they're slaving me. They don't appreciate me. I feel like a slave, a prisoner at work. Or maybe you feel like a prisoner in your marriage or whatever it is for you. With Paul, though your circumstances may have you in prison, okay, Christ does not have you living an aimless life. 
Amen. Your life is not lived out aimlessly like a prisoner, but you are in Christ Jesus. And remember this truth. Listen up, church. Christ, in Christ, everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. You are now his servants. You belong to Christ. You've been bought. You're no longer your own. Now, yes, God allows you to have to pursue your passions, pursue things that, 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 that drive you. But God ultimately is in control. That's why to become a Christian, it takes much more than just believing in your heart or saying, Jesus, come into my heart. There's, there's a need for you to repent. And there's a need for you to say, Jesus, you're my savior. But check this. You're also my Lord. And that's what trips us up. Right. We, we OK with saying, Jesus, I need a savior. You can save me. You're my savior. But then let me go on and do my life. Let me go on and do my thing. But Jesus says, no, I need to be your savior, but I need to be your Lord. Lord means this, it means that he has now full reign and full authority over all your struggles, over all your life. But we struggle with this. And if you're struggling with this idea, listen up to this. There's one thing. When you surrender to Christ's lordship, it is then that you find purpose in your afflictions. It is then that you can find purpose in your pains and your trials. That's because we will know that he's in full control and that you can trust in his sovereignty because he is Lord. Lord. See, Paul understood that. And he believed in the sovereignty of God. Big word, simply meaning that he believed that God reigned over all things and that he was ruling over all things and that he is in control even in his imprisonment. Even while he sat in the prison cell, even as he sat in prison and not free, he knew that God was still in control of that. Let me tell you, God is in control of all your pains and afflictions today. Trust in him today. Paul believed that even though he was sitting in prison, his current situation was only allowed because Jesus had allowed that current situation. Paul understood that where he was and what he was enduring was under God's permission. Therefore, he called himself a prisoner of Christ. Because what? Christ controls our destiny. Christ controls our destiny. We don't. We might think we do. The government doesn't. They might try. But ultimately, who controls our destiny? Ultimately, who reigns over all things? It is Christ. And I love what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Paul writes this again in verses 14 through 15. says, For we know that the one who raised the Lord will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, check this out. Everything is for your benefit. So that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Everything has its purpose and everything's for your benefit. But he says what? So that it may cause to increase to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Paul elsewhere understands this and he writes of his purposes. These are in your bulletins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. says a person should think of us in this way. As servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. You can underline that as servants of Christ. How do people, how, how should we be looked at as servants of Christ, as servants of Christ. Philippians 1.1, Paul opens up his letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Go ahead and again underline, servants of Christ Jesus. Oh, I love to hear the clicking of the pens. <laughs> 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 8 says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. Instead, instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, 
This is a man who understood that he was a servant of God. He understood that he belonged to Jesus. He understood that all things were under God's control and therefore he can suffer and that he's called to even suffer for the gospel to re- and rely on the power of God. Your afflictions have purpose. Christ is doing a work in you. He is your Lord. He has all things in check, all things under control, even if it might not seem like that in this moment. We'll go over that in a little bit. But not only is he working in your life, he's also working in those around you. And that brings us to point number two. Our purposes involve others. Our purposes involve others. In our text, verse one continues into verse two, and it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. Then he kind of goes on a tangent. He says, you have heard, right? Haven't you? About the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. That he gave to me for you. So Paul says, says this, says after I'm, I'm, a, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, but he adds this. He says that I'm a, Christ, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of Gentiles. It, is, it was well known that Paul's call was to administer and to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. We knew that. But Paul, he, he starts off and he starts off actually in a prayer. So we're not going to go through all of chapter 3 today, but it's really a prayer. And then he goes off on this tangent. So in verse 1 through 6 is where we're at today. It's kind of Paul running off a little bit. How many of you are like that, right? You can say one thing and all of a sudden a thought pops in and you're like somewhere else. And so Paul's going somewhere else here. And so maybe next week or the week after we'll pull Paul back in. But here Paul's kind of going off and he says, you have heard, haven't you? Right? You heard that God has given me a role to minister to you, to, to be a good steward of God's grace for you. For you. Paul begins to remind the church that he's a prisoner for their sake. See, God gives us a message of grace, and this message of grace is not just for you and I to receive and to enjoy, but also to what? To proclaim it to others and to give it to others. That's why our mission here at Swerve Church is this. We say this. We say we're, our mission is to lead people to becoming fully devoted followers of Christ Jesus. See, our mission here at Swerve Church involves other people. Our mission involves taking this message that we've received and proclaiming it to the, 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 the neighbors, the, our friends and our, our co-workers outside of these walls. Our mission doesn't just involve us. Our mission involves going out and leading people. That's why, see, listen, Dan, we would talk about life groups and we love it. We're all for family. I'm going to go over it today again. We love that we are a family-based church. We, that's what it's about. We value that. But we also value and understand that we are called to go outside on Sundays and we're called to go outside the walls and we're called to love and to go ahead and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Paul asks them, do you remember that, right? You remember that God gave me the responsibility to, to, to steward his grace to you. See, Paul was given his sacred trust to go ahead and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul's calling to the Gentiles is incredible, isn't it? Those of you who know the life of Paul, you understand that Paul hated them, right? Paul was, was just like the Jews who were out to kill him. Paul was out to kill. Paul was not a follower of Jesus. Paul didn't care for them. Paul wanted to kill them. But then Paul meets Jesus. And when Paul meets Jesus, his identity changes, right? He receives a new identity. Same way you and I, when we come into Christ, when we are saved, we are now no longer our own, but we receive a new identity. The book of Ephesians, if you want to look, say there's a theme to the book of Ephesians, is identity. Identity. And Paul says, man, I have a new identity now in Christ. See, we're called to family in Christ, but we're called to bring good news because our identity is in Christ. And Christ ultimately loves all people. Paul's imprisonment is ultimately for whose glory? God's glory. All his afflictions while helped, also helped Paul, check this too, reach those who are most unlike him. 
Now, this can be difficult for you and I, right? Because maybe you sit here today and you're like, all right, I got it. Um, my identity's in Christ, but I'm not a people person, right? <laughs> I don't really like to interact with other people. I don't really like, you know, I don't really, I can't click with those who are outside of maybe my culture or the personality I have. But in Christ, you're now new and your identity is in Christ. And Christ identifies with all. So in Christ, our purposes involve other people. And what's amazing is this, it really is amazing, and, and I'll share a personal story of how this is amazing, is that your pain and your afflictions actually does something else. It allows you to preach the gospel. How so? Man, uh, three years ago, in 2014, my wife and I were expecting our third child. And we had a name for her, her name was Ava. And, and, and sadly, we, we got the news that our child's heart had stopped beating in my wife's womb. And it devastated us. The world as I knew stopped right there and it broke our hearts. And looking at my wife destroyed, it felt like it, it broke me down. I spent many nights, guys, tearing up, crying, calling people, not understanding, questioning why was this happening. And I tried my very best to remain strong and steady for Joanna as she was crushed beyond I've ever, ever seen her. And, and, and the question, why? Why did this happen? Why, God? And I don't have the full answer today. I don't have it all. I don't. But I believe that God has given Joe and I just a little bit of what happened, why did he, would he allow this to happen. And not only did he have a plan in this to build us up, but he also allowed us to have a platform to speak into the lives of those who are suffering in the same, very same way. And we began to see this, especially as Joanna um, amazingly opened up and, and began to share in her pain while she was still painting and suffering. Uh, decided that she needed to go out and to, to speak and to share her story and to share what she was going through. And she took to social media, right, and, and opened up a page. And, and in that page, she began to raise awareness for uh, miscarriages and, and women and just allowed a platform for those suffering in the same way to share their story. Because so many share, uh, who've gone through this feel like their story is not significant or people begin to count, well, how many months were you? Uh, or, you know, were you really that far in? Well, God has, you know... And so you have you know, so many cruel things that can be said and, and stories that are going hurt and women who are hurting. And, and she allowed this platform, God allowed this platform for her to be able to all of a sudden uh, messages, private messages, people reaching out to her. And it's opened up the door for her to speak the hope of Christ. And this is a small way that God is beginning to show us that he has a purpose in that pain. That in all things, there's a purpose there isn't a thing that you are going through that God doesn't have a purpose for. There isn't anything that you're going through that God says, man, that one, I kind of slipped up. I didn't know that was going to happen. There isn't anything you're going through that God has not have a plan, does not have a plan for to redeem. And so we, 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 we began to share the hope that it was in Christ. And my question is then for you is this. How can you use whatever pain and suffering you're going through? How can you use your affliction to help others come to know Jesus? How can you use it to help and to begin a ministry? How can it be the start of your ministry? Your pain and your afflictions, man, gives us powerful credibility. Don't waste it, but invest it in people. Paul's in prison using his time to write a letter to speak all about Jesus. And his letter and the time that he took, we're sitting here today reading it, being encouraged that there's hope in Christ. Paul used his moment Use his pain, use his time in prison to speak about Jesus and to bring the hope of Jesus. And that's what's good about life groups. And I'll go back there again. Life group allows us to do just that. 
Guys, it allows us, man, we say it over and over again, we're not like family. We are. We don't act like it all the time, but that's what family does, right? We, we deny that we're family. Like, my sisters, oh, my sisters, my daughters constantly say, you're not my sister no more. Right? They get upset at you, but the bottom line is you are. All right? And the bottom line, in Christ, we're brothers and sisters, and we might not like each other every morning, every day when we come here. We might not stand, whatever it is, we're brothers and sisters. And Life Groups allows us to go ahead and to cry and to share stories. This Wednesday was incredible. Guys, this Wednesday was incredible. We had stories shared. We had people sharing of their past hurts in, in the church or whatever. And, and we, it allowed time for us to go over that and to pray and, and to, to digest it and to learn and to grow together. Don't allow what you're going through to be wasted. How can it be the beginning of a ministry that God has given you? <clears throat> Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, but I don't know what really is my pain. What is the purpose? Let me go to point C. <clears throat> God reveals in his timing. God reveals in his timing. This is a tough one, right? All right, God's timing can be really difficult for us. We don't, we don't quite get it. And, 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 and we don't like it sometimes. But God is revealing in his timing. Let's look at our verses 4 through 5. Verse 3 opens up. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written, briefly written above. Above, again, remember this is a letter. So Paul, is, you know, there's no chapter 1, 2, and 3 when he's writing. It's a letter. So he's gone over this in chapter 2. And he says in verse 4, By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In previous chapters, Paul reminds the church that we have, we have so many blessings in Christ, right? In chapter 2, he begins to speak of our blessings and how we should live in light of our blessings. Right, Christ included this. He included that what? Now in Christ, the dividing wall, the, the, the division we had no longer exists, right? There's unity between Jew and Gentile. He spoke about how those who are far away have now been brought near in Christ Jesus, have been made one. The dividing wall of hostility was torn down. There's no one more privileged, Jew or Gentile, no one more superior. And we talked about that. There's only Christ who's superior over the church and over all. And both of them have access to the Father in one spirit. Paul tells them that you're no longer, he tells the Gentiles, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners, but men, members of God's household. All this was made known to Paul in Revelation and not made known in previous generations. Why is that? God had a plan. He purposely held back his plan um, in its entirety. Now we know that because if you look into the Old Testament, there were hints of, of the Jews and Gentiles kind of being brought one, but never understood in the way that it, Paul, it was revealed to Paul, that there would be a unity, that there would be no separation, there would be a unity. So if for the first time, God is revealing this through Paul, but he waits till Jesus, he waits, God waits till Jesus comes in Jesus' ministry to reveal this to Paul and to the church. Why is that? Well, we only know that God has a timing for all things. God has a timing. There is an occasion for everything, Ecclesiastes 3, 1, right? And a time for every activity under the heaven. Knowing that God is good, though, and knowing that he is in control, we need to learn to trust that in his timing, all things, he will reveal all things in his timing. Now, you might, you might be saying, but when is that? Man, I just got to tell you, continue to pray and continue to trust in him because his timing is always right, and you will get your answers. But you might not get your answers today. You might not get your answers at all on this earth. 
And that's what tricks us up. That, that, that part right there. But man, I, I just want you to know, just trust him. There's a reason why he might be hiding it from you. But in heaven, perhaps all things will be made clear. And I also want to bring up this one thing, man. How many, uh, there was a, a passing of, uh, uh, of Nabil, who's a, 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 a strong follower, a Christian, uh, uh, who's a Muslim, converted to Christianity. He just passed away a few weeks ago. And his wife shared a blog three days or four days ago. And my wife and I got to listen to it yesterday. And she says something so striking, man. It's so true. And she, she's going through this pain and these afflictions. And people are asking her, you know, why is God doing this? Why? And she says, I don't know right now. But she said something so, so, so good. And she said, man, even if God was to reveal that to me, I'm not even sure if I understand it. Why is that? Because God, we got to understand his ways are so far higher than our ways, right? His ways are so higher. We are talking about the God of the universe who sees all things. And we are just so small. Our limited, our capacity is so limited that even if God Almighty was to reveal everything to us, I'm not sure we even understand it. And so it takes an incredible trust in God and maturity to know that God sees all things and that one day, one day we will be in his presence and one day we'll be able to see things the way we cannot see it today. That we cannot see it today. God reveals in his timing. And our final point for today is this. Our purpose builds up the family. Our purpose builds up the family. We're stopping at uh, verse 6 for our time to get together today. And verse 6 starts this way. It says, the Gentiles, this is the mystery that was revealed to Paul, that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was the mystery that was revealed to Paul. God purposed that through Jesus there will be a unity unlike ever known before to Jew and Gentile. That both, even though at this time, both Jew and Gentile was entering the church with prejudices concerning one another. But because Christ, what does he do? He makes them members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, as a family, all of our purposes serve to build up one another. And I love this. I love that we are members of the same body. Because what does that mean? That means you and I, what you do affects me. What I do is going to affect you. Right? Because that's what happens in a family. It also means it's an important fact in the family that there's not one of us who's more superior to the other. And that's something we got to get straightened out because we enter in the church sometimes and we look at the pastor, we look at the leader, we say, they're more important than I am. And that is going to go out the window here at Swerve Church because I'm not more important than you are. Danny's not more important. We are one family, members of the same body. Christ is the head of the church. Not me, not Danny, not Tiff, not any of the leaders, not our wives, not you. Christ is the head of the church. And also, we all have a role to play in a, in a family, right? In a family, everyone gets to work. Parents know this. I'm trying my best. My wife's trying our best with this. When you're a family, right, everyone has a role to play. So when there's dishes dirty, we're teaching our daughters now, you're cleaning those dishes, right? We're trying. Does it happen all the time? We're trying. They're going to clean the dishes because they have to begin to understand that they have a part in this family and that their hands are going to get dirty too. And so that means for us as a church, man, there's a, there's a purpose for you. There's a, there's a part that you play in this body here. There's a part that you play in Swerve Church and your role is significant. Your role is so important to the body here at Swerve. Your role is so important. We're called to love, right, and serve one another. We're committed here at Swerve Church to family. We're committed to family, and I want to close with this. I want to close with remembering how this all is even a possibility for us. 
How is it that God Almighty, because there is a supreme being, there is a God who rules over all things, who is Lord, regardless of all circumstances. He is in control. But we have a problem, and that problem is that he's an all-powerful God, and he's a good God, and he's a just God, and a just judge. And you hear that, and you say, that sounds like good stuff. Why is that our problem? The problem is that you and I are not all-powerful. You and I are not all good. You and I are not a, 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 a good judge. You and I are all the opposite of that. The Bible says that you and I are sinners. That before Christ we've sinned against God and we continue to sin against God. And God says, and the Bible says that what? The punishment for your sin and our sins is death. And that's our problem because God is a good judge and he does not change who he is. And because he's good and does not ever go against who he is, he must punish our sin. But God is also rich in love and mercy as we looked at in chapter 2, in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He's rich in love and mercy and in his love and mercy he sends Jesus Christ. To come down and to take on flesh and to live a sinless life, perfect, and to go to the cross and to suffer the wrath of God and the punishment of God. God remained good and just while also remaining loving and merciful. Jesus died on the cross for your sin, my sin, but we know that he doesn't remain dead. Three days later, raises from the grave, reveals himself, and then takes his place back on the throne, reigning over all things as king of kings. Jesus today is on your throne, on his throne, reigning as king of kings. And because of that, because of that, as we look to him and repent of our sins, it means turn from your sins, turn from that lifestyle and trust in him as savior, but as Lord, we are now made new. And you have now become the, have the right to become what? You become a child of God, adopted into the family as son, as daughter. Today, I want to urge you, if you have not, to repent of your sins, to turn from this lifestyle apart from God, and to place your trust in Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your incredible love and mercy and grace. God, thank you that today, Lord, we can come into your word. We can sit here, God, today in 2017 and still know that our God is the same God that we read in the word and the scriptures today. That in this moment in our lives, God, just as Paul can look to you as a prisoner in Rome, but can look and say, I'm truly a prisoner in Christ, that he's in full control and he reigns, that today... I can stand up here. My brothers and sisters can sit where they're at, God, and we can walk out of these doors, God, knowing that you are that same God, that you are in control over our lives, and that you reign over all things. And so, God, I pray, Lord, God, it's tough, Father. I pray that you help us to keep our eyes on you and to trust in you. God, I pray that you help us as a church to truly not just be like a family, but to be family, to look out for one another, to love one another, God, to build up one another as you've called us to. So, Lord God, be glorified in this and help us, God, for not me, for not them, for not anyone here, but for you, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.